in the second service, Pastor Melinda asked us who Jesus is to us. Each year, standing at the foot of the cross, I write a little piece. Each year, maybe hoping to find the answer. This year, two words came to me. They are the lens through which Christians oddly think about God. Crucified God. It's a strong phrase and disturbing to faith and good plain common sense. Yet, unless we have journeyed into the center of that blank space that lies between those words, crucified God, we will make the same mistake as countless Christians who have gone before us and mistake sight for faith, the attainment of perfection for hope, and the power to control how confused it's been with love. We have at length, and since Holy Week seems so late in the year, it does seem to be at length, arrived at the moment in our annual rehearsal of the Christian journey where we are called to stare into that abyss which is the empty space between those two words, crucified and God. Hear me well, I do not believe that the human being who was Jesus of Nazareth was a God. I do believe that Jesus Christ was truly God with us and as fully as we can know. In his way, in Christ's way, the first Christians were called people of the way. God was calling us to God's way in the world. So unusual and different than we have imagined. Christians do not speak of God before first telling the story of Jesus' love for the world. From this moment forward, the people called Christian cannot speak of God without standing here beneath the cross of Jesus in this dreadful space between the word crucified and Easter. This is what it means to be a Christian, to see the crucifix superimposed on the heart and life of God for the world, just as it is for all of us who love one another. I do not have to remind you how difficult it is to love someone, to bear their pains alongside with them, to mourn when we lose them. If this image of God in Christ living for the sake of the world is true, it means the closest we can get to touching God is in opening our hearts to one another. 
It's never been an easy sell. Crucifixion is one of the cruelest ways to kill that human beings have dreamed up. Even the Romans reserved it only for traitors and for the despised. And for our faithful ancestors in faith, there was no more humiliating way to die. Naked on the unclean wood of a tree. And for the Roman Empire, our ancestors in politics, it was a demonstration of raw power, brutal, deadly, and efficient. There were two processions in Jerusalem, quite likely in that day, during Passover, so long ago. One was modest and humble, grounded in joy, as many of us witnessed the, our procession with the donkey and the children as a sort of a sacrament of that, perhaps even unnoticed, triumphal procession. The other procession was to build up the strength of the Roman garrison sent to secure order in Jerusalem for a holiday which celebrated the liberation of an oppressed people. So it was quite likely there would be riots in the city and so the Romans would mount a procession of glory entering Jerusalem with war horses and fine raiment and polished shields. Holy Week is the story of the collision between these two parades. And there's two ways Christians have tried to be, believe one filled with glory and the other one at our best has mirrored the humility of Christ. Jesus' death was not holy and not glorious, at least in the way the world commonly defines holy and glory. In God's redefining of holy and glory throughout the Old Testament, which becomes into focus for us in this place, holy and glory are better understood as the left and right hand of God stretched out in compassion for the world. And that lesson comes to us at great cost. For Jesus lived this life of compassion for the world purely. And it's this way of life that makes God known. Loving the outcast, accepting the unaccepted, is unsettling to the powerful, and so it had to end. Love divine is vulnerable and delicate as gossamer. From the beginning of the moment in, the, in Genesis where God puts God's war bow away in the in the sky and resolves to save creation from the within. The promise has been held by a thread through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, an odd lot of people, and Rachel, and Sarah, and Ruth, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Hands like a thread. Love divine is vulnerable. And it was. And we are called to follow. 
We are called to follow in God's solidarity with the world's deep hurt and need. It occurs to me, in the light of this God, that self-preservation of our church is not a sufficient sense of mission. There is no critique of the Christian life or the church as strong as this first one, God's. Beneath the cross of Jesus, we see God in solidarity with all of the rejected and tearful children suffering under the oppression of evil men. If looking up to the sky through the cross of Jesus does in fact bring us closer to God, we are closer to God in the places where humanity is inhuman to man. And we find God reaching out in compassion in those moments. It's an odd image of God, utterly ungodlike in the way we conceive of it. The Apostle Paul gave three virtues that might help define our living faith, hope, and love. To make our faith simpler, I would commend you to these three faith, hope, and love. Now, we can attempt to again secure ourselves against the power of the miracle present in the world through faith, hope, and love. And we have done so regularly in Christian history by confusing faith, which is trust in God or one another, with certainty. We have confused hope with the desire for attainment of perfection, our own attainment of it. And we, every time Christians have seemed to held power, we have confused love for control. In the light of the cross, what does faith look like? We see it in Jesus in Gethsemane, trusting a God even he cannot see. But deeply uncertain about the future. Trust. Faith is trust in this story. And what is hope? Hope is the conviction that God alone and not we ourselves. Hear me, it's only God that can bridge that little space between crucified and Easter. Hope is surrendering the idea that we can do it ourselves. But what a marvelous thing it is to let go of that burden. And what is love? Love is patient and love is kind and love is envious. It's not boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist upon its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love never ends. I'm told. 
Some human versions of it do. But divine love, the great river flowing into creation from the throne of God, and in the center of that throne is the Lamb. And with that, we must leave today sitting before a stone-cold tomb, but to preserve you this week, I invite you to consider faith, placing our trust in God alone, hope, surrendering ourselves to the from the idea that we can achieve it, perfection ourselves, and place that trust in God. And love, simple, delicate, compassion. These things never end, and though today that fact seems uncertain, something tells me a memory of a story I once heard that not long ago, not long from now, God will stretch out God's mighty arm and call us all forth from our grave.